Welcome to On Your Terms with Aaron King, a show about living a life you truly love. Here's Aaron. Hey everyone, Aaron King here, and today my guest is one of the absolute best experts that I know in the tricky topic of the art of negotiation. Fatini Iconomopoulos advises executives around the world to get better deals and trains their teams to negotiate more effectively. She is also the author of Say Less, Get More, Unconventional Negotiation Techniques to Get What You Want. Votini is also an MBA instructor at York University's Schulich School of Business, and not on her bio, I would say one of the queens of Clubhouse. Votini and I first met on Clubhouse during the pandemic, and I will never forget being in one of those rooms where someone is just dropping knowledge bombs and you are scanning for her profile and saying, I need to know this gal. Well, that was Fotini for me. And ever since then, I've been following her work. She's just a dynamo. So saddle up, my friends. We are in for a treat. Fotini, welcome to On Your Terms. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm so excited to have another conversation with you about this stuff. Oh, me too. I mean, our first episode was my old podcast on highlights, and the way that you showed up was incredible. You had the most downloads, the most engagement. People just wanted more of Fotini. So I'm thrilled to be able to bring you over here to the On Your Terms podcast. Let's start off with a little bit about your backstory. I remember there was a story that you shared with me about being a child and (laughs) either your father or someone in your family nicknaming you the negotiator. Yeah, we were just joking about this over Mother's Day weekend back at my my house because ever since I was a kid, I would jump in and be negotiating something, whether it was on behalf of my sister, my mom, my cousins, and my dad would always say, we don't need to hear from you, negotiator. Nobody asked you, negotiator. It was that that nickname that kind of foreshadowed an entire career. It wasn't something I intended to do, but it was one of those things where I just couldn't stay quiet. There was a fire in my belly that made me go, I need to advocate for something. And so, and I've been doing it pretty much ever since. So it, it was a foreshadowing a very interesting career path. Oh my gosh, what a great story. That's truly someone that was born to be on this path. It's from a New York child, you know, like that's just incredible. Um, What I also love about your content is you are a very proud Greek-American, Greek-Canadian, pardon me, Greek-Canadian. Tell us about how that's influenced the way you show up in your work. So I've been really fortunate to have been outside of Canada a lot in my lifetime. And so as a kid, we went to Greece a few times and I kind of watched the bartering process. It was... It was an environment where it was totally normal to wheel and deal with somebody. And then my dad and my and my mom, my mom's like that stealth negotiator that people don't realize that they're negotiating with. She's so good at it. You don't even know it. But my dad is that, you know, very obvious. If you've ever seen the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, that was my upbringing to a T. Like there's no exaggeration in there. Um, but I was <laughs> I was exposed to this lifestyle of understanding that, oh, you do this engagement, this back and forth thing. I was also unfortunately exposed to what is a very patriarchal culture. And so being mm-hmm. a girl meant you're not given some of the opportunities that boys in the family would. And mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that if I had an older brother, I don't think I would have had many of the opportunities I had today, but because I had a sister, it was, okay, well, we want you to succeed. And since you're our only children, yes, we're going to, you know, finally relinquish some of these opportunities. But it was I was always bucking the trend. I was always uh, outside of the norm. And I remember even when I was doing my undergrad, I was studying in a program called arts and science, where you pursue both your Bachelor of Arts and your Bachelor of Science at the same time. It was a weird time in my life. 
And one of my dad's friends, who was also a very traditional Greek man, said to me, so what do you want to do when you're done school? What do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I don't exactly know. That's why I'm taking this program so I can keep all the doors open. What I do know is I want a job that's going to allow me to travel. And he said to me, Fotini, you're living in a dream world. Go to this local university, because we had one down the street from us, and go get your teaching degree so you can have your summers off and raise your family and do what basically all good Greek girls do. And I was mm -hmm. like, to this day, that that memory, that conversation, I remember where it happened. I remember it word for word. And I, to this day, I'm very tempted to show this man my passport and show him all the places <laughs> that I've been because this was the box that people kept trying to put me into. That was the community mm. that I was born into. But yet me stepping outside of that, I got I ruffled a lot of feathers along the mm -hmm. way. But today, when I step back into those communities, when I go back home for a visit, when I step into a, a Greek America Foundation event or whatever, now mm. it's applauded. But I mean, I, mm. there's so few people who get how much it took to get there. Previous generations just didn't allow it. Today's generation of ethnic kids, of first generation kids in North America have fought really hard to have some of those those opportunities. Um, so I, I'm pretty proud of myself for getting to do those things. And it's again, it's those negotiation skills, it's those self-advocacy skills that allowed me to get out of the freaking house, that allowed me to break some of the cultural norms, that allowed me to deal with, even when I was breaking the norms and doing it, to deal with some of the backlash and the bias and all of those things that come along with it. So it's it's a blessing and a curse. It's really been wonderful to have a set of values instilled in me and to watch, mm -hmm. you know, family members and other people from my culture who work really hard, who came to countries where they didn't speak the language, who overcame so much adversity and it was so inspirational. But at the same time, it's going, okay, you did all this, but now you want to put me in a box. Where are we supposed to go with that? And so I had to push to keep that mentality of seeking out greener pastures and seeking out bigger opportunities and, and try to, to, connect with the people who are trying to keep us from going a little step further. Oh my gosh. Okay. There's so much in there. Okay. So this podcast is called On Your Terms and it's all about living life by your rules, by how you define success, not how your mom, your dad, how Greek culture defines it. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to get a double whammy with this episode because it's also on your terms in terms of how do we negotiate better to get deals that are on our terms? So we have all of the layers, <laughs> friends, if you're listening. But let's start with the first component of that. What do you think it was about you that allowed you to break the box versus staying in it? Because every single woman that I know that is an entrepreneur, an author, a speaker, a writer, a CEO, we literally have a version of that story. We have yeah. a version of everyone told me I was crazy. Everyone gave me a better idea. Everyone felt entitled to weigh in. Everyone tried to authorize their version of my life. When I ignored them, they all said I was nuts. I did it anyway. And then only until I was featured in Success Magazine or published the book or got the big deal for the podcast or whatever the accolade was that finally allowed them to say, well, I guess maybe your path could also be <laughs> applauded and acceptable. What is it that allows certain women or men to, to ignore people in a healthy, not delusional way and follow the intuition when the people we care about the most are trying to hold us back? What was that for you, do you think, that allowed you to, do, to be a not a good, quote unquote, Greek girl? 
I wish I had a black and white answer for it. I do think that some of it is nature and some of it is nurture. So my sister yeah. and I are very different people, even though we grew up in the same household. My sister yeah. was the one who was four years older. So everybody was like, oh, well, life must be easy for you because she was the older one. She knocked down all these doors. I'm like, actually, she fit the mold perfectly. And they're going, what's wrong with you, young child? Why are you rebelling when we had a perfect angel before yeah. you? <laughs> um, so I do think that's kind of the, the nature part of things where I was somebody who needed more and I wasn't afraid to to go for that. Yeah. I also had capabilities that I, you know, I was winning awards, I was doing all the things, I was the lead in the musicals, I did all of that stuff. So when they saw me doing those things and actually meeting my potential, then it was very hard for them to say no. So mm. because their dream for us was always, we want you to have a better life than we had. So we didn't have education. We want you to have education. We didn't have salaries and good paying jobs and pensions. We want you to do that. So you don't have to struggle and figure out this whole self-employment thing. That kind of backfired because now I'm back to yeah. self-employment. But it was them <laughs> wanting so much more for us and me going, okay, here's how I've showed you how I'm using my potential. Do you really want me to back off of that potential? Because when I was, um, when I was finishing my undergrad and I was about to, I went straight from undergrad more or less into my MBA program. So I was a bit unique in that in that regard as well, because usually you have to have work experience before you go in. I had work experience before my undergrad because I actually opened a business with my family. We opened a leather and fur boutique when I was a teenager, still in high school. And so I went away to university. I kind of did the weekends and all that kind of stuff while I was away at university. And then it was time for me to go get my MBA. And that was the point where I was going to more formally walk away from the business. And my dad said to me, I don't know why you're doing this. I think, think part of this is you just trying to escape us. I don't know mm -hmm. how much of it is escaping when you've got this really great opportunity here at home. You've got this great business here at home. And I said, well, you asked, you encouraged me to go get this education. You encouraged me to seek higher, you know, opportunities. So now that these opportunities are in front of me, do you want me to just waste all of that education? Do you want me mm -hmm. to just waste all of that time and energy? You wanted this for me. So why would I stop now? And so to, yeah. I, it was it was a communication skill thing with them too that helped me to get them to kind of drop those barriers. It was a, it was a struggle even as a you know twenty something year old when you're you know left the nest and all that kind of stuff. It was still a struggle every day, but it was trying to match their interests and my interests that went. You want more for me? Well, guess what? This is what more looks like. I know you didn't think about that that way, but here's what mm -hmm. that could be. And so the nature part was I wanted more and I had capabilities and I didn't want to be be stomped and and left to not use all of those capabilities yeah and using that to my advantage with my parents when they went we want so much for you and i went okay well here it is do you want to stifle me or do you want to allow me to keep going this is the crosswords mm. that we're at and i also said I, I also don't want to have regrets so i said to my father i said i could stay here and keep building this business but if i don't if i hate it then i'm going to resent you for it and I don't want that to happen. But if I go yeah. away and I get this other degree, I always have this to come back to if it truly is a successful business. Um, mm -hmm. And that, and we landed on, at a very different part of the crossroads. Isn't it so interesting that the same scenario, your mom and dad interpreted your moves as being an escape, you saw it as an opportunity for elevation, which was 
the message you received your entire child. It's this catch-22 of our parents, right? Because I grew up in an Irish Catholic household, went to an all-girls Catholic high school, and we were taught to be, you know, at the all-girls school, the same thing. We, we were the team captains. We were the class presidents. You know, we were like these, these leaders of tomorrow. And then something happened once we graduated college around 25, all of our traditional, you know, Irish Catholic, like your goal is to procreate and make more Irish Catholics to, to like <laughs> in the world, right? Just like Greeks or Italians yeah. or all these different cultures. And, and yet when I, it, 25 came and went and I wasn't married with babies, they were like, wait, what are you doing? I'm like, exactly what you've been training me to do, which is to elevate and be bigger than my grandparents were all immigrants, you know, mm -hmm. from Ireland with no money. And my grandfather was a plasterer, you know, in Pittsburgh and they, had, they were broke all the time and so poor. And their whole dream was exactly like yours for us to elevate. And then isn't it interesting that once we do, it's this tension of who they wanted us to be, but then maybe once they got it, it wasn't what they thought it would be. And so it's it's interesting there's there's a common fuel between you and I where we wanted to make our our parents proud and our grandparents proud. We we wanted to use their dreams for us as part of our motivation. And at the same token, in order to do that, we had to sort of blow up their plan and and yeah. do it our way to get what they ultimately wanted. But the whole thing's a negotiation at the end of the day, yeah. right? So I, I love where you kind of landed. So so let's talk about let's talk about kind of pivoting a little bit over to the actual negotiation skills. So, so let's talk about first with your family, and let's talk about just general negotiation in other areas. Uh, second, so first, when you were trying to carve that path, and in such a, a tight family like you had, you know, you kind of laid this out with your parents. Did you did you negotiate an emotional settlement that allowed them to? <laughs> eventually like are they on board now are they cheering you on and applauding like what was the moment where they were like okay she's got a point and then they kind of came over to your way of of seeing things i feel like it's still baby steps and for every few steps forward that we take there's always that little one step back like even when i yeah. got my book deal so in harper collins called me and said we think you have a book in you i didn't pitch it and i called my dad I called home, my dad answered, and I was like, hey, I've got some really great news. And I said, I've been asked to write a book. I have a book deal. And he goes, okay. So I saw your godfather this morning. He's asking me, when are you gonna get married and have some babies? I was like, wait, mm -hmm. did you just not hear what I said to you? Um, mm -hmm. Like here I am with this really, and I told him it's a really big deal, but his focus is that seems like another distraction from the ultimate goal in life, which is what, you know, when are you going to have babies? And we mm -hmm. got into a fight. It was it was mm -hmm. awful. But at the same time, you know, he got over that real fast. And when the book came out, they were excited. When I started doing media, they were excited and they're telling people about it. And, you know, there's there's no question there's a lot of pride there, but there's still they I think are still struggling with this dichotomy of what we thought was going to be the, the prototypical successful Greek family versus she's bucking these norms. I don't know how to deal with them. It's super cool, but we're still missing this thing that we thought all of our kids were going to have. So it started really early in that, I mean, I had to negotiate my way to prom. I had to negotiate my way to go away to university because it was mm -hmm. one specific university that had this program in all of Canada and they only admitted 60 students. And then my dad wanted me to stay close to home, a seven minute drive from home. We had a fine mm -hmm. university. It just didn't have this program. So it was weeks after the acceptances came in that it was like right up until the deadline we were negotiating to go. I said, I will drive, I will commute like crazy if you want me to. That's how important this is. And that's yeah. when on the deadline he went, 
no, it's fine. If you're telling me that this is going to be the best situation for you and the best opportunity, then we'll figure out a way to make it work. But then it was, okay, you're going to come home every weekend. And then I had to negotiate that. <laughs> then it was, okay, well, you've got this job now in a different city because my parents live about an hour away from me without traffic. And, and when I started moving, when I moved away from home for this job, it was like, so what time should we expect you on Friday afternoon? I go, what are you talking about? Well, you're only living away from home because of the work. So of course you're going to be here every second you're not working. I was like, that's not exactly how this works. And so that was a negotiation. <laughs> and it was just one thing after another. So yeah. it, it's, it's, it was a really great training ground for me to have better communication with them because, you know, a 12 year old Fotini would have just been arguing and yelling and stomping her feet and having a tantrum. But a 20 something year old Fotini was going, okay, what is the best way to move forward to make sure that everybody's pleased with this, to make sure that there's no regrets on either side or resentment on either side. So it really was wonderful training ground for working even in the corporate world, even though my parents had never seen the inside of a corporate office. Um, oh. It was, it was, it was all these baby steps, but you know, a few steps forward, one step back, that was kind of yeah. our norm. Well, it's pretty cool that, that the way you grew up and the challenges you overcame and the, the cultural negotiations that you went through prepared you for your actual professional career. I mean, I'm jealous about that. I mean, I talk about digital persuasion, which is similar to negotiation, but more how you communicate online from behind the screen to get people to say yes. And we didn't grow up with digital or yep. screens or Zoom or anything. So I didn't have that infused in my childhood. So I'm jealous that you have 20 more years of training than I do <laughs> with what you do. Um, but let's talk about that. So I was thinking about you uh, a couple of days ago when I was preparing for this podcast. I was rereading your book and looking at all your content and I had a negotiation come up, which this happened the last time that I interviewed you. I had a negotiation go sour two days before I met you the last time. So eventually I'll learn my lesson about what you're teaching me and actually putting into practice. But I had a client that came to me and uh, we were talking about having them add on this training program. So they hired me for a keynote and a breakout. And they're like, we have all these things we want to do in one hour. We want to change the world in one hour breakout. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, these are seven other topics. So let's do an ongoing training series and you know, go deep and narrow on each topic per month. They said, great, how much are you going to charge? So I had that moment that we all have where we get a little upper lip sweaty because we're thinking to ourselves, it's for me, I mean, I love what I do. I'd probably do it without getting paid. This is my job, so I have to get yep. paid. So I'm thinking like, what do I charge? So I threw out the number that felt to me to be like low enough for it. It wouldn't be too painful for them to say hi, but high enough where I'd be excited to prep for it. Kind of that sweet spot where yep. who even knows how we come up with these figures to value our time. Put it out there, kind of winced a little bit and they were like, okay, great, no problem. Like no pushback. So immediately, you know, dang it, that was too, <laughs> low, right? And yep. then they go to the conversation and they tell me that they have just hired one of the biggest superstars in Hollywood to do the opening entertainment event for this convention, Fotini. And I'm like, well, how much are you paying her? They're like, we're paying her $1.2 million for her performance. And here I am sweating for like a, fr like the, a fraction of the fraction of the fraction. Yeah. What, the what? A rounding error. Exactly. Totally. <laughs> exactly. I know. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, dang it. So, I mean, so I walk away and you know that they had such a big budget. I was excited, but I walked away and I had that sort of, I'm sure you have a term for it, but like negotiation remorse yeah. or whatever you would call it. So 
why do we undervalue ourselves? How do we better prepare for those scenarios? If I could play it over and you were doing that for me, how could I have been better in that situation? <laughs> so it's it's completely normal. You certainly are not alone to have that remorse. It's the same remorse that people have the second they make a big giant purchase and they buy a house and then they go, oh my God, what did I just do? Right. Um, I've done that a couple of times. <laughs> but I mean, that is a completely normal response. And the bias that we have towards ourselves, the fact that we, we discredit credit how valuable our services our time is for others is also really normal so you have to almost do a bit of research to to get their feedback before you put a proposal on the table yeah. actually one of the best pieces of advice i ever got and i was fortunate when i started my business i had been working for a consulting firm so i knew what the firm was charging people for my time and all that kind of stuff so i had yeah. a baseline um but i also knew clients weren't going to pay me the same amount of money as they would this big giant machine it just didn't seem reasonable for them to do that but I put a post up, I think, in my Facebook friend group. And I was like, hey, guys, I'm trying to figure out what I what I price myself at for my first proposal. Any tips on what I should be thinking about? And one of my friends to this day gave me the best piece of advice I ever got. He said, whatever you're thinking, double it. And I did. No joke, mm. no exaggeration. Um, OK, pause. Because, we need to say that yeah. again. Say that again, nice and slow and loud for people in the back. That is yeah. so good. Whatever you're thinking, double it. And I truly took that to heart and I and it forced me to go back and reevaluate what is holding me back. Why wouldn't I double yeah. it? Does this seem reasonable or unreasonable? Can you, you know, roll that by somebody and go, does it sound crazy to you? You have some knowledge of industry or budgets or of training budgets or whatever that world is. Maybe they're not hiring someone specifically like you, but maybe they have some general knowledge or just a reaction that goes, whoa, or oh. Okay. So right. that that kind of instinct, you need that instinct instead of your own, which is which is deep set deep in your own bias in your own imposter mm -hmm. syndrome in many cases so mm -hmm. part of it is research you need to know well what are people getting paid for these types of things and so for folks like us you know having a great network of trainers and so on who are willing to say here's what my last proposal was like um, or here's the types of fees i would recommend for that kind of thing or here's what's been successful for me in the past i just mm -hmm. had a, a former colleague who used to work with me who's on the other side of the world doing similar-ish type of work. And we talk about this stuff all the time. I'm like, I'm charging way more than you are. You need to be charging more, lady. Um, I have those conversations because I want others to be successful. So there's going to be other people like me out there who are willing to give you that research. But the yeah. other piece of research is what's coming from them. So mm -hmm. I applaud you for even asking the question, how much are you paying that superstar? I person? wish I hadn't asked. <laughs> but if you had asked before, had you known that I before? Know. Like, what else does your program look like? Who else is showing up that day? Who have you had in the <sighs> past? Yeah, that would give you a sense of okay. They talk about they talk to some people who are some big brands, some big numbers. They have budgets to play with, and then That's you right. give yourself the you give yourself the space to make a mistake. So if you go too high. And they go, oh, wow, that's not what we were expecting. Then you go, okay, well, talk to me about what you are expecting. How close can you come to that? What yep. is it that you want to accomplish? You, if you go too far, you can always bring it back if you're you're behaving in a cooperative, collaborative way. If you're banging your fist on the table and saying, this is my price or else, that mm -hmm. may make them want to walk away and not further engage with you. But that's the fear, right? The fear is mm -hmm. if I put a price that's too high, they're not going to want to work with me. No, but mm -hmm. the reality is if I put a price that's too high and I'm cooperative, then we can continue the conversation until we find a price that's right. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's so much there. So, so, okay, first of all, what I'm hearing you say is when they ask you the question, they're like, you know, how much do you want to make this year? 
how much are your services? The big, like, tell us your number question. You, what you're saying is, instead of our knee-jerk reaction of coming up with our price point that may not be researched, that may come from a place of our you know, inner good girl or have we were raised to think about our value or our money or whatever our imposter syndrome struggles are, we should instead immediately begin to ask questions back. We should begin to dig around, understand, do our due diligence in the moment. And, and then is there, is there a value there for us to say, once we've asked the questions, is it important that we then sort of on the fly make that decision? Do we lose negotiation power if we say, can I think about it? Is that a bad idea to kind of like pause and come back if we're not sure? Do we lose the moment if we, is, does it have to be an in the moment thing is my question. So the answer is no, it doesn't have to be in the moment. You don't okay. want to wait until next year. You do want to build on some momentum when you have them there in, you know, eager to do it, but they're not going to say mm -hmm. yes on the spot anyway. Like when you give mm -hmm. them a price, they're going to go, okay, let me take that back to my colleagues and I'll shop that around and whatever. So my recommendation is always get all the information you can, make sure you are well-researched before you put that number on the table. You need to yeah. make sure you've done your own individual research about what's going on in the market and all that kind of stuff. But you also have to know the scope of what it is that you're dealing with. So people will ask me all the time, they'll reach out on LinkedIn or email or whatever and say, we'd love to have you join us for something. What are your fees? And the yeah, first man. thing I do is actually, before I can quote you a fee, I need to better understand what it is that you're looking for. And we have mm -hmm. a research call. That is mm -hmm. my research on them and to go, well, what is it that they want from me? Is it a standard, you know, canned speech that I don't have to prepare for? Is it something that needs to be catered to them? Is it a, a half an hour, an hour, a full day? Is this a much bigger project than perhaps they even realized? Are our mm -hmm. expectations on the same plane? Because I could give them a fee and they're going to go, oh, no, we weren't expecting that much. Or they go, oh, this is a bargain of a century, but they go, yeah, we want a full day of that. I'm like, wait a second, that's not what we, mm -hmm. that's not what I was quoting. So mm -hmm. you need to make sure that you're on the same page, that you understand the scope. So do that research conversation. Then there is so much power in the pause. Because when you go, and now that I have all of that, I need a moment to digest that. I wanna make sure I'm giving you something that's thorough and that reflects what it is that you just shared with me or what mm -hmm. that reflects your objectives. I'm gonna get back to you within 24 hours or whatever. Let me let me write something up, some something with you with some details and a description of what I have in mind. Um, and then that's when you can actually put your proposal out there. Cause most of the time this stuff is often done in writing anyway. If you've done your research in advance, you're doing this research call in the moment and they're just confirming, yep, 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 exactly what I was expecting. There's certainly no harm in saying, wonderful. Based on what you just shared with me, the price I would expect for this program is X. That's totally cool. And you might be able to, to, you know, get the momentum and, and, um, and be able to grab that right then and there, but I don't want you to do something that's going to hurt you. And that's too often what ends up happening. And then yeah. scope creep comes in, they go, well, can you do this extra little thing? And can you do this other little thing? Know all of that stuff in advance, agree to everything before you put the price down because you could be underselling yourself massively. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so good. And I think that that this this idea of um, of pay transparency as part of that process that you're talking about, it seems to be emerging more and more. I mean, there was a gal on Twitter uh, a couple of months ago that, I don't know if you saw that, went super viral that she was like, hey, just P.S., I'm leaving this job. And in case anyone's applying to be the director of whatever, I was making, you know, 120 whatever thousand. And people went crazy on Twitter that this gal was so audacious to just point blank share her salary. But it was so interesting how how 
how partisan the responses were around who applauded it and who was just horrified that that someone would start sharing the information. I mean, you know, we're both keynote speakers and um, the National Speaker Association is a a membership that I'm I'm a part of. And it's funny because in this organization, people that have been in the business for 20, 30, 40 years, there's sort of this very frowned upon thing where you don't talk about your fees, like you don't talk about what you make. And I feel like with my generation, sort of the air quote, I mean, I'm 40, but like, you know, the younger air quote generation um, of speakers, we're all so candid. Like I tell everyone my fee, I ask everyone their fee. And so I think there's a really interesting uh, abundance mentality that's that's sort of becoming more of the norm. And so why don't we take better advantage of the fact that most people, if you are reciprocal in your honesty and, and in your transparency, why wouldn't you ask around and and just get a better idea of because even on the other side, like you said, when you're negotiating, just like you have an idea in your head of what's going on, they're comparing you to their last trainer, their last vendor, their last partner, yeah. and that has nothing to do with you. But that's their baseline, so that's how you're expensive or a deal. But you're yeah. like that's not even apples to apples, right? Yeah, especially when if you have a niche, you know, there's a supply and demand too. So, mm-hmm. you know, what is your niche? Can they find 12 other people who are doing exactly the same thing as you? Or are you so good at what you do that you are unique in your field? That's a reason to increase your fees. What is it that you are bringing to the table? Too often we we, we underestimate what we bring to the, to the table. And so to mm-hmm. get that feedback from someone else in your peer group, to be able to know, oh, well, if they're doing this and I know my content, you know, I've gotten equal feedback or uh, we, we, we are in similar circles and people enjoyed my stuff just as much as they enjoyed that person. Well, then that gives me a sense that perhaps I should be charging more. Or maybe that person's done a much better job with their brand. There's a lot more demand for that person. And no mm-hmm. one knows who you are, even though your content's fantastic. If no one knows you and you're charging too much, people are gonna, you're gonna be sitting there wasting away until you create that demand. Mm-hmm. So there's so many factors, mm-hmm. but the more information you have from others, and I agree with you, I do think there's a generational shift in terms of our mentality about helping others. You know, we're mm-hmm. about the same age. And when I finished my MBA, I don't want to say it, but it was, I think, uh, about 15 years ago now, maybe more. Um, I found that the women ahead of me, there was this element of, I went through this crap, you're going to have to go through it too. Mm-hmm. Now the women Absolutely. of our generation are going, no, 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 I want to spare you all of that. My The whole reason my job exists is because I started sharing my story with people and helping other people to prevent them from dealing with some of the discrimination and the, the crap that I dealt with in the workplace. That mm-hmm. is me trying to help others, not to say, I want to keep you at the bottom because I'm enjoying my time here at the top by myself. There was, yeah. there was a scarcity mentality, though, when there was only one seat at the table for women. And if you come up too fast, you might steal my seat. Now all of us are going, let's create more seats. Let's bring more That's chairs right. to the table. There's no, there's no scarcity now. It's about we lift each other up together. And I'm thrilled to be a part of that community. Like I just got my book blurred by one of the other clubhouse superstars. And I was thrilled when, uh, when LGO, when Laura Gassner-Odding, you know, agreed to do a blurb for my book, when someone else that I met through an author group agreed to do the same thing. Like this is the abundancy thing that we have. We're not holding back. We're going, how can I help you? Because society tells us there's a reciprocity. When you help someone, they're going to want to help you too. And, and mm-hmm. when you do it because you just want to you put something good out to the universe, it comes back to you. Um, and the same is true in negotiation. When you are collaborative and when you're doing something that you know is going to help someone, they're going to try and find ways to go, oh, well, what can I do that's going to be valuable mm-hmm. to this person? 
Mm -hmm. It's so true. It's so well said. So funny. I was texting LGO before we got on this call to record this. I'm having her on the podcast as well because she is such a team abundance player. Yeah. Um, recently, uh, I, I recommended a keynote gig for her at 20,000 person stadium that I did right before the pandemic. And she was, I mean, she's wrote a book called Limitless, but you know, we all have that imposter syndrome that creeps up and she was kind of like nervous about the thing. And so we sat down and I had a big gig coming up as well. And we just sat down, the two of us, no holds bar. And I rehearsed with her, her speech, and she let me rehearse mine back. And there was just no filter, just brutal, real raw feedback. And the two of us walked in, we both got standing ovations at our respective gigs. They were the same day. And there was no element of like, I want to be better than you. It was like, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Let's yeah. go, girl. You know, and then it was so cool because I saw on her social media that she did such a great job. And I felt a sense of pride. Like I had a part of it, you know, instead of feeling like, oh, well, she's doing so great and I'm not. I, mean, I really do pray that what you said that we are the change makers, that we can write a new generation, a new mentality for women, for men, for whoever is feeling underserved or or under under championed. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I love what you said. Let's talk a little bit about the the mindset that goes into all these great tactics that you're sharing with us because I'm listening to everything you're saying and I'm writing everything down furiously. <laughs> My problem is this. When I get into a negotiation, and look, I, I mean, my agency was acquired in January. I've been a salesperson my whole life. I teach persuasion. I mean, I've literally been in 100,000 million sales meetings. I've played the elevator music in my mind when I asked for the money. I mean, I used to ask for a paper check before I left the place to get them to advertise on television. So I have a pretty good baseline. But even I have those moments when the stakes are super high, like when I was negotiating for my agency to be acquired, where I swear the limiting beliefs were coming out of my pores. I could yeah. not stop the fire hose of fear. So I don't know if you've ever been scared in negotiation because you're Fotini, but if you <laughs> ever have been scared or nervous, what did you do in that situation? Like what happened and how did you, from a mindset standpoint, not even the tactics, but like how did you get your big girl pants on and feel more powerful in that moment? So it's interesting. I, I certainly still feel it because, you know, I think Lululemon or one of those companies had the phrase on their shopping bags that said, do something that scares you every single day. And I was in a yoga class where the, the instructor was saying that and she was trying to encourage us. I'm like, lady, that is my job. That is what I do every single day. Right. I have other people's livelihoods in my hands. Of course, it's scary. And when it's my own, it's even scarier. Um, so there's there's always that element, especially when the bigger the client who shows up, that the, the stakes are higher. In recent years, there's been a lot of Fortune 50 companies, and I, I'm not allowed to discuss any of them because I'm, I'm bound by NDAs like crazy. But that's an intense experience when you're going, of all the people out there, you're choosing to talk to me because they found me on Google or somebody mm -hmm. recommended me or whatever it was. It's great. It's wonderful, but it's it's nerve wracking. And I start to go, am I pricing myself high enough? Because they're used to high price people. Are they going to think I'm too much of a mom and pop shop to be able to pull this off? Or there's all of these doubts that go through my brain. But then I go, wait mm -hmm. a second. And this is exactly what I teach people all the time. And, and I talk about even, I'm, I mentioned to you well, before we started this that I'm putting together a course. And one of the first things that we talk about in the course is those limiting beliefs. Yeah. And it's because it can hold you back. And I tell myself and I tell others, they're talking to me for a reason. 
they found me on Google or this referral or this other thing because I'm so freaking good at what I do. So they are believing in me. And even when I've had like former clients at Fortune 50 companies call me back in, they go, hey, can you go through this thing? And I go, but you're super talented. You know what you're doing. I trained you myself. I saw how brilliant you are at this. They're like, no, 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 but we need you. Why do you need, like I'm literally trying to talk them out of it going, why do you need me? You can handle this conversation. Trust me, Fotini, I know you're gonna bring some magic to it. And part of me is doubting it going, how can I impress these people more when I've given them everything that I thought I had to give? Yeah. There's always something more, but sometimes it's even just hearing it from the people who are in your corner mm -hmm. that can do that. It's that friend who says, whatever you're thinking, double it. You know, it's that client who goes, no, no, I know you're going to be able to do this. They're going to listen to you much more than they will to me. And it's being able to recognize in those weakest moments and those imposter syndrome moments to go, they're giving you their time for a reason. These people mm -hmm. are, have limited schedules. If we've learned anything in the last couple of years in this pandemic, time is a precious commodity. We're not giving it up easily when we're pulled in a million different directions. So why are they talking to you? Know that information, know why they are talking to you, remind yourself of that. Whether you are that person who's going for the promotion or that new job, why did they pick your resume and then put it at the top of the pile? Why are they asking you to do this gig over somebody else? Out of all the graphic designers in the world, why did they choose you over somebody else? Why did they like your designs more? And there's a, I think I may have talked about this the last time we, we did this, but one of my favorite studies that I talk about in all of my keynotes and all of my lessons is there was a Harvard study done in 2013 where they made people um, sing in front of a group. They made them sing the song, Journeys Don't Stop Believing. And they put them into three groups and they made them say the first group they said despite how you're feeling tell yourself you i am anxious and they told the second group despite how you're feeling tell yourself i am excited and they told the third group say nothing at all and those who told themselves that they were excited outperformed the other two groups according to a computer that measured their volume and pitch and it wasn't because they were better singers because they also outperformed them on a math test and a speech test so you can actually change your cognitive abilities. You can improve your performance just by changing your mindset and going, I am excited. I'm excited to show this new client what I'm made of. I am excited to have this conversation with the client and learn about all the cool things that I am able to provide to them. I am excited to you know, put this proposal together and, and put, put together a beautiful partnership with this new individual that I want to work with. That mm -hmm. in itself will help the words flow out on the proposal that you're writing. It'll help you sound more credible and more confident to the person across from you, making them want to pay you more, making them want to engage with you more. All of that starts with the mindset and those yeah. limiting beliefs. So yeah. it has a huge role to pump yourself up, take that moment to say less before you start thinking and talking at the same time. And I guarantee you, you will get better results. So many gems in there, Fatini, and I feel like you are preaching directly to me because I am the queen, like a lot of women, of thinking and talking. Like I talk my thoughts, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm thinking and talking simultaneously, which is deadly. I mean, say less, get more is such a great title. The power of the pause, taking that moment, getting super intentional and clear and not just that stream of consciousness that I don't know if it's because as women we're interrupted a lot so we just we try to get it in while we can and we're just going for it or whatever it is but it's such excellent advice and and even from the mindset standpoint I mean I will say one of the like you said hearing a great piece of advice from a friend or someone else the best best invention I ever learned from a friend is something that I call my fist bump folder and my fist bump <laughs> folder is literally screenshots 
of every client, every moment where someone was like, you did a thing that helped me or you rock or loved your book or loved your talk or whatever the love was. It is literally a folder just full of all the screenshots. And whenever I find myself having a hard time believing that I deserve to be there or like as you get built on higher and higher stages and you look at people that you're speaking with that were like your heroes and you're just like, who, someone's gonna find me out. Like I do not belong here, you know? (laughs) I would just go through this fist bump folder backstage so many times. And it sounds like an ego thing, but you kind of need to fill the tank a little bit to believe in yourself sometimes. And hearing it from someone else versus yourself, sometimes for me, it negotiates with myself to convince me that I belong there, you know? So um, just a great little tactic that I learned. I call that, I call that the feel good folder. And I encourage encourage my clients too, even if you're working for another organization, before it's time for your personal valuation or before you go in to talk about that promotion or whatever, you've basically got all of these wonderful accolades in chronological Mm -hmm. order. Because every at the end of the year, all of my clients are like, oh, I don't know what I did this year. I got to do this personal valuation thing. And I'm like, I've been working with you for 12 months with your team and you've done this, 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 and this. If you keep track of it in that folder, Mm -hmm. you've got it there ready to go in someone else's words, which sounds super credible in the first place. Mm So I, I applaud you for doing it because it, it helps in so many ways. Oh, I so agree. And if you don't have a folder, start to ask your clients, ask your ask your friends what they love about you. Ask your clients that keep hiring you why. Ask your boss who just always gives you that kudos in a meeting like, hey, can I just get a specific little sound bite? You can use your phone, get an audio recording or ask them to text you. I mean, just anything to capture the love so that you can access it when you need it most. I mean, I, I, I will say it's been a game changer. So I love that you do that as well. So Fatini, I would say before we wrap, this is kind of a juicy question. You sort of gave us a little bit of insight in the beginning of this conversation around some of the decisions that you made as you know someone in their 20s to be able to truly live life on your terms, not your parents' terms, not the Greek culture's terms. Um, and you sort of gave us some ideas around that. But besides what you already told us, was there anything else that just along your journey, I mean, you're such an empowered, fiery, confident woman. Um, you're certainly living life by design, the way that you like to live it. Um, in, a, in a certain area of your life where you just feel like you really are operating by your standards, your belief system, your rules, was there a decision that you made somewhere along the way or a mantra that you tell yourself, something you anchor on that really made all the difference for you where you can really feel that sort of empowered life on your terms vibe? I don't know that it's a it's a mantra per se, but there are moments that I reflect on certainly. And um, for me, it's moments of like I've dealt with some significant discrimination. I've been involved in lawsuits having to do with it. Mm -hmm. I've left a a job before that was toxic because of such Mm -hmm. things. But it's those moments where it happens. And I had this out of body experience where I'm watching it play out and I go, I am not going to allow you to make me a victim in this moment. I am not going to be a victim of my circumstances. I'm not going to be a victim of bias or of discrimination. I'm going to be the victor. And so what that means is I'm going to take this situation and I'm going to turn it into something good. And so I can actually picture a moment where I found out I was getting paid less than a male peer, someone I should have been actually been paid a lot more than. Um, And I had that discussion with my boss and I was about to go into this tirade and I went, no, no, no. 
And that's kind of the moment the mental pause button was born for me. And I was like, I'm not going to let you have this. I'm not going to give you the opportunity to go back to the senior leadership team and tell them that I was emotional or to tell them all of those things. I'm not going to become a victim of this moment. I'm going to become the victor. And I just paused and I thought through first what I needed to do. And that situation turned around dramatically because of it. So for me, it's the mentality of I'm not the victim. I'm the victor. And when people tell me things like, I know these guys are going to be jerks when I go in there, or I know I'm going to have to have this difficult conversation, or my ex-husband's about to, you know, tear me to pieces. I know this is going to happen. I'm like, that's amazing. And they're like, why in the hell would that be amazing? And I go, it's because you know, and knowledge is power. The fact that you know something means you can plan for it. You're not going to get carried away in the moment the way you would have if you just if you didn't see it coming and that knowledge is something it's it's like throwing bricks at you those are the bricks you're going to stand on and you're going to use them to make a platform for yourself so that you indeed are the victor and not the victim when you know it's going to happen you can you can find a strategy to work around it and that for me has always been i think what's carried me in some of the darkest times it's not letting them be the victor of that moment. It's going, I'm going to take this one, not you. Let's, we're, I'm, you're going to be the victim of my circumstances and not the other way around. So I, that theme kind of comes up for me over and over again. And it's like, I don't know how else to describe it. It's like taking that energy and using it for good. Um, and it's given me an amazing platform to be able to share stories with people like you, to be able to encourage others to deal with their crappy circumstances in a different way, to be able to look at things differently and change that limiting belief. Because if you're always the victim and it feels like, oh, woe is me, I can't do anything with that. That's not an energy that I can use, but I can okay. channel this victor energy and go, how can I make this a moment to look back on and be so proud of? Um, mm. And that builds more moments from there. Fatini, that is so incredible. I love, I'm going to think about all of my energy from now. Like, is this victim energy or victor energy? I mean, it's very simple. Like, make a choice. Like, are you literally going to be this victim, poor woe is me in the corner, boo-hooing on, you know, on your hands and knees? Or are you going to be this victor with the shoulders back and the chin held high, brandishing the sword, charging forward and making shit happen? I mean, I just, I love it so much. I adore you. Thank you so much for sharing all of these incredible insights with our community today. Um, I just, you have given us so much to think about in terms of negotiating with ourselves to live life on our terms, negotiating with our families, jobs, bosses, and just saying less to get more. So where can people find more of Fatini? Where do you like to play? Well, I have shortened my name for search purposes. <laughs> so you can search at Fotini Icon on Instagram and on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Uh, Instagram is my favorite of the moment, but the website is also FotiniIcon.com where there's going to be some fun announcements coming up there very soon as well. So good. Well, thank you again for joining us. And thank you all for listening to today's episode of On Your Terms. I'm Erin King and wishing you all the success you so deserve online, offline, all the time. Now let's go live life on your terms. Thank you so much for investing your heart, your mind, of course your time with me here today. And it is my deepest hope that you have gleaned at least a few new nuggets on how to better live a life that you love on your terms. You can subscribe to see all of my weekly episodes. And if you have time, you can send a screenshot of your review of the podcast to onyourterms at erinking.com. 
and you'll be sent a free access pass to my Digital Persuasion Masterclass, where you'll learn how to attract attention, increase your influence, and sell smarter from behind the screen. I hope that you'll join me next week for another episode of On Your Terms. And until then, let's connect on Instagram at Mrs.Aaron.King. Till next time, friends.